More fallout from Josh McDaniel spurning the Colts and the drop the mic quote from their GM, Chris Ballard. Jason Light has a message for you season ticket holders. The Rays unveil their 20th anniversary promotions and who won signing day around the state of Florida. All that and more on Sports Day Tampa Bay. Welcome, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with our producer, Steve Versnick. I'm not Tom Jones. <laughs> you could be anybody you want to be. Okay. Uh, Tom Jones is not with us tonight. One night he will be with us, and then everybody will. Uh, then it's going to screw everything th- up, and will be the running joke will be over. Um, we're glad you could join us. Uh, just so you know, you can always reach us on Twitter at Sports Day TB. That's at Sports Day TB, and uh, and I'll give you my uh, addresses as well. But uh, let's start with some of the topics today. Uh, I mentioned there was some more fallout about this Josh McDaniel situation with him staying in New England and spurning the Indianapolis Colts. I'm curious just who you, who do you think off the top of your head might be the coach in two years uh, with the New England Patriots? I mean, it, it would have to be McDaniels. And today – It's not Charlie Weiss? Uh, no, it's not Charlie Weiss. It's not going to be some of the others. It's not going to be Matt Patricia, which is also uh, you would think would have been a possibility. Greg Schiano. Uh, and it could be Greg Schiano who is going to who's going to interview, and I think will get the, he's the odds on favorite to get the defensive coordinator job. Greg Schiano has had a great relationship with Bill Belichick going back years when he would take well, his, you know, his son Stevie went to Rutgers and and uh, you know was a long snapper there I think one year, and that it got a lot of players from Rutgers as well. So that's definitely going to happen. So Schiano I think is going to be back in the NFL here here in short order. But today there were some interesting developments because. You know, we're finding out more about why McDaniel stay. And I think it's fairly obvious, even though they say nothing was written down, nothing guaranteed that he's going to be the Patriots' next head coach. But the one thing that did come out was that Belichick and Kraft, particularly Belichick, told Josh that he would now let him in on all the secrets that he has about scouting and the salary cap and all those things. So, so, so what you're telling me is Matt Patricia is going to stink in Detroit because he wasn't involved in all that stuff and he has no clue what he's doing. <laughs> well, yeah. Is that why and every coordinator that leaves New England? That's why they all falls suck. In their face? Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, Charlie Weiss tried it all. The, you know, I mean, I wouldn't say Bill O'Brien's been a failure. I mean, he, but he, you know, he was an offensive coordinator one year and was quarterbacks coach uh, a number of years uh, under Brady. But you're right. There has not been a successful. Uh, an uber successful New England assistant that became a head coach that I can think of. And really, in some ways, Josh McDaniels went from, I'm going to be the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts, where I'm also going to call plays, be the offense coordinator, and work with Andrew Luck, to essentially the same job, just not the title, with the New England Patriots, only he's working with the greatest of all time in Tom Brady, and he's still just calling plays and doesn't have to worry about anything. But you know he's getting a hefty raise. You know he's being paid almost as a head coach. It's not a financial decision. And... I think that with great glee, somehow Kraft and somehow Belichick, uh, because basically, as the story goes, all the reporting is that, you know, he went in there and was going to say goodbye to everybody, essentially, clean out his stuff, and, he, you know, the flight was, was ready to go to Indianapolis and everything like that. And McDaniel went in there, and they sat him down, and they said, are you sure you want to do this? And they started twisting his arm and telling him why he shouldn't do it. And and then he calls Chris Ballard, the GM, who, by the way, is represented by Bob Lamont, just like uh, just like McDaniels is. So how's that and, negotiation go? Well, it's a great point. Look, there's conflicts of interest all over the place, and, and I've, I've had this discussion before. There's not that many agents that, that represent head coaches. There really isn't. Uh, and a lot of times – you know, in the case of Bob Lamont, he'll represent two guys for the same job. I'm like, how does that work? 
when you're talking about pushing this guy for I just don't know how that works. But somehow he's made a, a you know fortune doing it. But apparently he was really ticked off at McDaniel. And it, before McDaniel could fire his agent, Bob Lamont, Bob Lamont fired McDaniel today and said that it's the worst mistake he ever made. And that doesn't happen being, very often. Agents don't fire no clients very often. Especially guys that, you know, by all outward signs, has a good chance of being the it head coach somewhere someday. Um, and he's had him for a long time. But he took Ballard's side. So Ballard got up there today, and I guess I guess what happened was after the arm twisting that Kraft and Belichick did, um, McDaniel's calls Ballard and says, "I got some bad news." <laughs> no kidding, kind of like the call Tom made to me one night. And <clears throat> then he said, um, "Ballard didn't want to hear it, so he's like, are you in or you out?' You know, just just tell me, are you in or you out? You know, we can't." He'd already re- he'd already given permission for the press release to go out and said he agreed to terms and all I these things. I believe they tweeted it. They did. They did. But he did say agreed to terms. He didn't say he'd sign it. So there is that fallback. But he said, well, I'm out, and here's why. And he didn't want to hear the why, and he basically hung up. So when Ballard had his press conference today, he was impressive. He was very straightforward, um, you know, was as about as nice as he could be under the circumstances and talking about the whole situation with McDaniels. But then at the end, it was great because he had to do the uh, the ultimate mic drop. Thank you all. Thanks, Chris. Thank you. The rivalry is back on. <laughs> so you have to know that that there's a, more than a little bit of a percentage of, of satisfaction taken by Kraft and Belichick that this was the team that, that basically got them for a deflate gate, right? Um, and they've been rivals with Peyton Manning years going back before that. Well, you think so, the Patriots hold a grudge? Yeah, I do. <laughs> I really do. I think they I think the Patriots have become without question the evil empire. Take any great villain that's ever existed and you can apply it to them. They are the they are the ultimate villainous team at this point. There is nobody outside of New England or Boston. You can admire them and I admire greatness and I think there's something wrong with you if you don't appreciate it. But as far as Reasons not to like the Patriots. This is just this is just another one. You know what I mean? This this is it's there's there is this arrogance about them that's clearly been earned to some degree. Um, and now I'm wondering that how now that they lost another Super Bowl and they're still dealing with this you know the whole situation of sitting Malcolm Butler and where that's going. I I wonder if there was a good column in uh, in Boston today about. You know, are the Boston fans starting to starting to see cracks? You know, because there were some issues obviously this year that they're still kind of working through with with Brady, with Belichick, with the whole Garoppolo deal, with Bob Kraft, with you know uh, Alex Guerrero and all that stuff, and they still have stuff to work out. Um, but I really I think this just cements them further as the team everybody wants to hate. And you know, by comparison, they made the Eagles look even even uh, more great in winning that Super Bowl. Well, every, so good, every good sport needs needs that that person, that team, that that something to hate. Every good yes. TV every good TV show. There's someone yes. out there you're supposed to hate. That's correct. And and I and I I think it's I think this is going to be you know a, another big reason um the the way this whole thing has gone down. Along those lines, your boy Tony Dungy who we talked about last night because, you know, guys were ripping him for 
mentioning, uh, you know, that Nick Foles, faith-based as he was, believed that, you know, he had been put in this position and, and that helped him calm down and win the game, et cetera. Uh, and people had problems with that, talking about his Christianity. Well, today, Dungy came out and jumped on McDaniels on Twitter pretty good. He said, haven't read the article, but I can tell you there is no capital N-O excuse big enough to justify this. It's one thing to go back on your word to an, or- to an organization, but having assistant coaches leave jobs to go with you and then leave them out to dry is indefensible for comfort, all caps, question mark. That's, that's the part that, that's that's really hard to take. I mean, you know, deals happen all the time where people back out at the last minute. I mean, you know, whether it's buying a home or a job, whatever, until the contract's signed, until the I's are dotted, T's are crossed, it's that. But you've affected other people's lives in this, where they already had assistant coaches that were already that had been there for weeks ready to mm-hmm. work for him. And mm-hmm. now what do they do? Well, they're there. I mean, from what I understand, whoever the next head coach is, you know, if if they if those assistant spots are filled, they're filled. It's the same thing. We talked about this, and and, mm-hmm. and I think Tony's perspective on this he he's got two reasons to really dislike this. Okay, one, the Colts were his team. You know, he's he's very close to Ursay. He's very close to that organization. He's in the Hall of Fame. He's in the Ring of Honor. All that stuff. So that's pretty that's pretty obvious, right? People that are have worked in that organization feel like they they really you know got screwed. The second reason is he had it happen to him only in reverse. You know, a guy named Bill Parcells, before Tony coached his last game with the Bucks in 2001, they're going to play the Eagles, where, of course, their season would end. But nonetheless, two weeks before that, Parcells had worked out a total agreement to be the Bucks' next head coach, win or lose. Tony Dungy could have gone to the Super Bowl, presumably, and they would have still hired Bill Parcells. And, in fact, he had – you know, as soon as Tony was fired after that after that playoff game, and he was fired the next night. Um, Parcells quickly had the Bucks hire Bill Muir, who was his offensive line coach. And so here sat Bill Muir waiting for Parcells to take the job, and he got pushed back because the you know I wrote the story and the word got out that Parcells basically pushed out one of the most decent guys in the NFL out of a job. And between that and his divorce and other things, he decided no, 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 he was the runaway bride, and he left the Bucks holding the bag. And Tony probably sat there, you know, I think it was like 10 or 11 days before he took the Colts job, was considering not coaching at all. And, and I'm sure when he looks back on it, he goes, you know, had Parcells not – I mean, after all that, I got pushed out, and then the guy didn't even take the job. That had to hurt. And then John Gruden came in and won a damn Super Bowl, so that had to hurt even worse. <laughs> so these are these are scars that are being opened on, on Tony Dungy's uh, back right now. He can't, he can't feel good about it, but um, – but I thought that was – and the comfort part of it is apparently McDaniels – you know, and look, I, I'm not – I may be backing out of some deals myself here shortly. I'm not one to say that if you just don't feel good about doing it, you should do it. Just be, But you really – it shouldn't get down this far because you have affected moves of other people. They have families. They've, they've got to come from someplace and go to Indianapolis. Uh, they came here to coach with you. Now they're just going to coach with they don't know who the next guy is going to be, and it may well work out. I mean, Tony Dungy was the third choice in Tampa Bay. They didn't have two guys say they were going to take the job and back out, but, you know, they did offer it to Spurrier and Jimmy Johnson, and and they were talking to some others. But you've affected other people's lives in a negative way potentially, and that's, to me, that's that's what the comfort and – and, and while McDaniel says, you know, I got three kids, they're all school age, and if I stick around here for three or four more years – 
they'll have a chance to go to one school and that's so important and it's you know there's i'm just have more comfort in new england so that's the comfort part of that quote and today colin coward on his show talked about how you know having an offensive play caller as a head coach with a quarterback like andrew luck that pairing has worked around the NFL, and it could have worked in Indianapolis. The Josh McDaniels, basically a verbal commitment to Indianapolis. Some coaches' families moved there, and he goes back to New England. So what a wild day today. Chris Ballard held a uh, press conference earlier. Here's, he's fairly bitter, and I totally get it. And I think the reason he's bitter is this thing was going to work. This was going to be Garoppolo, Kyle Shanahan. It was going to be Goff, Sean McVay. It was going to be Bill O'Brien, Deshaun Watson. It was going to work. It, Pat Shermer is going to get Josh Rosen or Sam Darnold. That thing's going to work. The only time a top quarterback and a top coordinator have gone together recently and it didn't work is Dirk Cutter and Jameis Winston, and it's certainly not a failure. I mean, Jameis Winston's passer rating keeps getting better. He keeps getting better, just slower than we anticipated. So, wait a minute. It, all of that worked with everybody else except for – Dirk Cutter and Jameis Winston in the litmus test as well. It's not a complete failure. It's kind of a failure. There's some success. His passer rating is up a little bit, which is really good, and it's true, but uh, not exactly uh, an endorsement there for the, the pairing of Jameis and Dirk, to but say the least. Is that a fair way to evaluate Dirk's Cutter's performance, though, as, as head coach now on the team? I mean, you know, Colin gave a lot of good examples of uh, you know what Jared Goff's done under Sean McVay and and uh, Deshaun Watson uh, was doing under Bill O'Brien and that. Yes, I, I is, is you know what a, I, I mean. You know, looking at how all these young quarterbacks are, are yes. you know, top rated, highly drafted. You know, this isn't Dak Prescott in the third round or whatever, but you're you're talking, you know, highly decorated quarterbacks and Carson Wentz, Doug Peterson. Where do you want me to stop? Yes, mm-hmm. yes, that's look. I don't think they're going to bring in a defensive-minded coach to be the head coach of the Buccaneers as long as Jameis Winston is here. There's a reason why you have they, – they chose, after working with him one year as an offensive coordinator, to keep Dirk Cutter as their head coach because his job is to develop this franchise talent and get this guy playing at a level where he lifts everybody around him and the team zooms into the playoffs. And almost in every case, I've done the study and the research, when a guy's drafted that high, if he's any good at all, by the third year – he gets his, you know, all, all those statistics go up. The interceptions go down. The touchdowns and the and the, and the completion, a lot of things did go up for Jameis. But the thing that's almost universal is those teams make the playoffs, and Jameis's has not. So, and I think as we talked about before, I think that uh, De Dirk is very cognizant of that. We had the report, you know, last year with Rappaport not in a good place. There's always stress when you're losing, and no matter what, no matter how much progress you think Jameis has made or not made. The fact is, is that if you lose enough, if you don't win games, even if your numbers are okay, three and ten is what he was last year as a starter. Even the Cleveland Browns are going to change their quarterback if he doesn't lose, if he keeps losing games. And of course, they change him one every year, it seems. But you know, it, your pedigree and where you're picked and all those things and your you know, numbers don't mean a whole lot if you don't start winning games. And I'm not saying they lose just because of Jameis, but either Dirk or Jameis will be blamed. And I would be willing to bet you that if they have another bad year, Jameis Winston will still be here, and there'll be another guy coaching him. So Colin is right in that respect. They have to make that work somehow. So, well, well um, the good news is the GM knows what's needed. <laughs> well, yeah, he does. And, and to that point, we mentioned last night that, you know, the Bucks are going to raise ticket prices unless you're, you know, 
in a position to renew your tickets from last year by March 15th, and then you get the 2017 prices. If you don't, then they roll over, and they're going up, in some cases, $250 a seat. There's some sections down around the 50-yard line that have gone up over the last three years, like 67%. It's a modest increase, I guess you would say, but for the third year in a row, they're raising ticket prices. And they sent out this information uh, yesterday or so uh, in an email to their season pass holders, and Jason Light on on the email had a video where he explained sort of where he thought they were as a franchise and, and how disappointed they were in last year. Hi, I'm Jason Light, general manager of your Tampa Bay Buccaneers. In the time I've been here in Tampa, I can't tell you how many times I've run across season pass members like yourselves. And every time I do, I can feel your passion. It makes me very proud to be a part of this organization. None of us here feel good about the results from last season. We didn't meet your expectations. We certainly didn't meet our expectations. We know what we have with this team, but we also know what we need. We're right now in the middle of our evaluations with our scouts, our coaching staff. We're working diligently to bring a championship here to Tampa Bay. In the draft, we picked players like Jameis, Ali Marpet, Donovan Smith, Quan Alexander, who's in the Pro Bowl this year, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, O.J. Howard. These players, and when I say they have a big heart, trust me, there are some huge hearts in that locker room. They don't want to experience the type of thing that we did last year again. We're on the losing end of some very close games. I'm very confident that the lessons we learned from last season will stay with us as we continue to build this team and learn to close out games next year. I want to thank you for your loyalty and passion for this team. And more importantly, I look forward to seeing you and your energy at Raymond James Stadium next fall. Now, listening to that video, one of the most interesting. Botox Cosmetic, out botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Things he did there was he started calling off all the positive draft picks that they had had in, in Jameis Winston and Donovan and Marpet and as he went along there, if you noticed, I think I found out the problem. I think the problem is in his answer or in his statement because as he's listing all those players, it comes it comes to my attention that only one of them plays defense, and that's Quan Alexander. And, yes, he did note that he made the Pro Bowl. But there was no defensive lineman? None. I mean, he could have said Noah Spence, but then everybody would say, well, yeah, but Noah Spence has been hurt for two years. Um and that's the only defensive lineman other, other than, you know, a guy in the seventh round that didn't play last year on IR um, that he's drafted. So here might be the problem. He also didn't mention Vernon Hargraves, who he did draft, but Vernon's kind of in a doghouse now. So they didn't. So what we're missing here, and Jason knows this because he's just, told, he's just had a tell there for you, is that they need some guys on the defensive end. When he says we know what we need, it's those defensive guys that he couldn't mention. Um and so that's that's what that was all about. But interesting, interesting little you know take and very I thought very honest and assessment of of sort of where they are. Um, but I don't know. I don't know if that would encourage you to to re up your season tickets now or not. 
And speaking of franchises that want to sell tickets, the Tampa Bay Rays, your Tampa Bay Rays have unveiled their 20th anniversary promotions. This is going to be, you're going to see this all over the place. they got the new logos. Steve, these things look uh, interesting. They look pretty good, actually, where they combine some of the old and the new. And this is uh, their 20th year. It's actually their 21st season. But I guess the way this works is Stuart Sternberg explained it because last year well, would have been the 20th. 98 to 2018. Right. Like when you're born, they don't say you're one years old when you come out of Correct. the room. They wait a year and then you're one. So if you do it that way, they, you know, they play 20 seasons, right? Yes. And they're going to be wearing throwback jerseys, I think, four games this year. Uh, at least four, right? Yeah. Or is it I just saw, four? I saw four on uh, one of the tweets they put out in that. Um, and one of them is going to be the first weekend against the Red Sox on that Sunday game. Okay. Well, there's 20, I guess uh, they listed 20 ways to commemorate 20 years, and, and not to be outdone, um, somebody <laughs> tweeted at me. This is the sense of humor that Rays, some Rays fans have about this team. Keith Schmidt wrote me on Twitter. He goes, I got 20 ways for you. Okay, number one, trading away their best players. Number two, leave their prospects an extra year in the minors to gain an extra year of control. This is not funny. Number three, cowbells. Cowbells is on there. I just want you to know, Keith, you got one out of three. Cowbells. More cowbell. More cowbell. Cowbell is one of the promotions uh, that the Rays are going to have, which is. I know know, you're looking forward to the Hawaiian shirt day. Those Hawaiian shirts. I'm not a big Hawaiian shirt. There was a time in my life where I would wear those things. You remember Tommy Bahamas were real big Mm -hmm. for like 15 minutes? Dave Wills will be all over the Hawaiian shirt one. Oh, Dave Wills is all about the Hawaiian shirt. There's no question about that. Um, and it's it's interesting looking shirt too because it's got the logos are all kind of combined. Um, that's good, but they're, you're 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 exactly right when you talk about that. They do have four games, and they're actually enumerated. I mean, it's March thirty first, June 9th, June twenty third, and September eighth. They're going to wear the the old Devil Rays jerseys uh, in their full multicolor glory. Um, the inaugural ninety eight team. God, it, it seems like has it been twenty? It's, I feel awfully old when I think about the twenty years because I remember it was all hands mm-hmm. on deck. Of course, we had a staff that was about twice the size that it is now, which tells you what's happened in our business over twenty years. But um, I can remember I was writing like the third sidebar of that game or fourth sidebar, and um, the '98 team is going to be honored, uh, I guess, at some point. But they got a they got mm-hmm. a cushion about that. They're they going to honor the '08 World, team too. The '08 World Series team. They're going to have a um, a bunch of bobbleheads. In fact, I think they have a was it Akinora Imamura clinching the uh, the final out of the uh, game seven of the LCS. Um, there's just a lot of really. There are some pretty creative and cool giveaways to this. So if you're a Rays, if you've been around and you're mm-hmm. kind of a nostalgic person, they're going to have you know people like um, I guess there'll be some guys on hand that that had big moments in Rays history. Uh, that'll be coming by the trap and they'll be honoring them. Yeah, it's been pretty cool Wade, this year. I mean, the Lightning have had their 25th year this year they're celebrating. Yeah. Now the Rays are going to celebrate their 20th this season, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. The whole generation yeah. now. That's true. The whole generation. And, you know, it, it takes, you know, people talk One about this two, fan base. Right? It, it, people talk yeah. about the fan bases and, you know, no one's from this area. So, every, you know, the Rays, the Lightning, everyone's their second favorite team. Well, it takes those generations of growing up with the teams to really create a, that hardcore diehard fan base that teams crave and want. Um, you know, I lived in Atlanta for a while, and it took it took the Braves years. It took them till winning in 91, and then it took about 15 years after that that the kids that in 91 when they first won, won the uh, uh, the division and went to the playoffs, 
Um, you know, by the time 2004, five, six came, those kids that were five and six years old at the time became high school age and college age kids. Mm-hmm. They were the, the fan base really started to, to become solid there, and that's what teams look for. It takes time to build those fan bases, and the Rays and Lightning have done a good job of that, and it's growing. And, and you know, I know, I know when I moved, I moved to the area in 2010, and you know, so they had already been to the World Series in 08. Uh, they went to the playoffs that year in 10, uh, in 11, and that, but from what everyone told me around here is that, you know, the kids on the little league fields went from wearing Red Sox and Yankees jerseys to wearing Rays jerseys. I after, think that's after true. After with the win. Once, once you start to win. And that's the key. My, my son is the perfect age. I mean, he's 22, and this is the, you know, he, he's only known Tampa Bay to have a baseball team. I grew up without one, obviously, the closest team with the Braves, and we listened to them on the radio and all that stuff. So, and, and he went to the World Series, <clears throat> excuse me, and I told him then in 08, I said, look, this, this you know, there, there are people in Chicago that haven't seen this in 100-something years. Embrace it. I know you can't appreciate it, but it's not likely to happen anytime soon. Um, but he had all through school, all the Longoria shirts and, you know, um, through high school, and it was all Ray stuff. Never wore anything different. You know, that was that was his team, still his team today. We've been to... I don't know how many opening days is just like a father-son thing. Um, so you're right. What I would say, you mentioned the Braves, and it's probably a pretty good example um, because that's that's sort of a transient community in some ways too, that city. But but the thing about the difference was the Braves, when they started winning, I believe they won 11 division titles in a row. Did they 14. Not? 14. 14. So mm-hmm. not only did they grow up with the team, that team had success every single year. Yes. You know, whereas – the Rays, and I was asked this question on TV the other night, how, what grade would you give the Tampa Bay Rays after 20 years as a franchise? Well, I I think it's not, I mean, the easy answer is failure if you just look at the the whole, the big Paul of wax, but you can't, you know, it, they really have, you have to give them two grades because Vince Namoli, when he owned the team, um, certainly it was a different ownership, a different era, a different everything for the first, what, eight or nine years. Um, and then Sternberg comes in and they, they lose – honor around about 100 for two years under Joe Madden, and then bam, they take off. I mean, they make the playoffs four out of six years. They go to a World Series, um, you know, and they've had five. I think in their franchise history, they've had five winning seasons out of 20. Mm-hmm. Well, what great is that? You know, but but you still well, – I think, I think of, you have to separate in owners, like you said. I mean, yeah, you know, that's and, what and, I – And that's the last three years for the Rays haven't been as successful, but, you no. know – but that but success, but four out of six that success in a small pleasure. market breeds a ton of turnover, not just on the players on the field, but Andrew Friedman, Joe Madden, et cetera, and replacing right. it hasn't gone maybe as smoothly as you'd like. Um, right. And, you know, and, and, and they're constantly evaluating, changing. Matt Silverman went to baseball ops. Now he's kind of moving back to the front to more of the organizational head, and, and they're making changes. I, I think, yeah, I think you have to give it two separate grades um, because I think the, the Sternberg group has done a, a – Overall, a, job. a, a very yeah. credible job. Um, Especially you have, and you also can't compare them. Even though they're in the Major League Baseball, it's still unfair in my mind to say, "Well, next to the Yankees, you know, or the Red Sox." I mean, that, I know that's the division they play in, but you have to consider their ability to create uh, and be competitive without the resources that those other teams have. I think that just makes it even more remarkable what they've done. I think you have to it's you have to do it on a curve. You cannot say, mm-hmm. you know, if the Yankees are an A, they're an F. I mean, you can't do that because they don't have the same resources. So they've had to make do, and they've done an extremely in- incredible job of staying competitive and in, 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 in the and in the hunt every year. 
Um, and you're right. I know they haven't made the playoffs, and now it looks like they're going to try to, you know, go the Houston or the Cleveland Indians route for a couple of years. But um, I, to well, me, can, the can they go that route? I mean, right now with no free agent signing, they can't even trade anybody if that's their desire. Well, yeah, it's true. That's true. It's, yeah, I mean, that's kind of where we are with this with all of Major League Baseball right now. There's a ton of lack of movement, and, and I still think that before – they start playing in April. Something's got to give, but it might not. And they might be well. Free agents um, will start signing by then, and then things will start happening. Now, whether a ton of moves will happen, and and if the Rays' desire is to trade and 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 for lack of a better word, blow it up and do what Houston or the Cubs did, um, it, it, this year seems like it's going to be a lot harder as teams are diving under that luxury tax. Yeah, yeah, it's all economics, and it, and it, even if you do. Um, if you are successful in trading a, a guy, are you really getting back the kind of prospects that you that Houston got or that Cleveland got? Um, that's going to be the key. You know, what do you get back for those guys? So as they try to replenish the organization, um, but you know, it's uh, I guess we got uh, Fan Fest is Saturday. Um, we'll be there. That's coming up. We're going to be there. Yeah, we're going to be there from uh, I think we're noon we're to broadcast one. noon to one. Noon to one. That's the plan. You'll be able to watch us on Facebook Live on the Tampa Bay Times Sports Facebook page. That's right, and we'll have some guests, and um, should be good. I'm, I mean, I can't. I mean, it's say this every year. I can't believe it's baseball season. Pitchers and catchers report on Tuesday next week, the thirteenth. Wow! And for Valentine's Day, they get their first workout. <laughs> Honey, I got to go to work. Yeah, that's a great. I mean. It's it, it sneaks up on you. You get to February and then boom. Well, it's here. an early I'm, opening day this year too. Is it? Is it in April or May or uh, March? When do they start? Uh, March Thursday, March 29th is opening day. March 29th, and yeah. they're at home, right? It's, yeah, it's at home against the Red Sox. Red Sox. Yeah, it's it a Thursday, Thursday this year. On a Thursday. Yeah, they're, it's, they're, uh, instead of it's Monday or Sunday, game, isn't it? Like uh, five four o'clock, four o'clock, I believe. I believe okay. four o five. First pitch so no one has an excuse. You can get home. Kids can get to bed. The whole thing. I mean, this is uh, this is great. I have not missed an opening day. I think, and I don't know. It's been probably seven, eight years. So hopefully, I'll go to this one as well. I believe they've sold out everyone in that time. Yep, I think you're right. I think I don't it's think eight or nine gone or in a row, something like that. They've sold out, and I anticipate they'll sell out this one too. The other thing that happened today, of course, it was National uh, College Football Signing Day, and a lot of these teams had players that signed early or, or committed early. So in, in the case of, like, USF, they, they may have only had a few players that they actually uh, signed today. But when you look at where everybody was, you got new coaches at the University of Florida with Dan Mullen and then Willie Taggart at Florida State. Considering where the Seminoles were and the fact that, you know, uh, Coach Fisher had – Jimbo had, I think, decided a long time ago he was not going to be back at Florida State and therefore did no recruiting there – uh, and even took uh, somebody who was recruiting to Texas A&M with him today, a quarterback. Willie Taggart has done a pretty remarkable job of getting them back on the map. Now, they've, they've been a top five or six you know, recruiting class almost every year. This was not going to be the case. But he signed 21 prospects, and they are uh, ranked number 11 recruiting class, according to uh, 247 Sports, and that's – that's higher than um, even the University of Florida, which was ranked 14th. 11 is and, really good for a new coach. Yeah, it, in fact, I mean, it's, your first that, year, your first year, you don't you don't get all the recruits. No, and and it's the highest rated recruiting class of any program that has a new coach this year. So, and I have my doubts. Believe me, I have I have serious doubts about Willie, uh, just because I think everything happened really fast. You know, he went to USF. He was we talked to him every week uh, when we were doing our radio show, and he was. 
teetering sort of on the, hey, is Willie going to make it through this season? And then Quentin Flowers happened. And when Quentin Flowers happened, the program took off. And then Willie goes to Oregon for a year. And I thought, well, he'll be there for a while. And then, boom, this Florida State thing happens. And it's like, wow, this is really happening fast. But the one thing you can say about Willie Taggart is the man can recruit. And he really does well in Tampa Bay. In fact, he signed four players from the Tampa Bay area, which is the most that Florida State has ever signed in a single recruiting class. Interestingly, none of them were quarterbacks, but then they, they probably feel like they're okay there. They, like I said, they lost the one kid they were going after at Texas A&M, uh, or two Texas A&M, but they still have DeAndre Francois, who they think will be back with the tor- from the torn ACL, and then James Blackman played a lot last year. Um, but they – they did a remarkable job uh, of having to play catch up and watch out for Florida state. I had said this earlier, Steve, I think, I think Mullen in the long term, because I believe in the university of Florida and their resources. And and I think Dan is probably the right guy for that job. Um, But I think the, the, the splashier, you know, quicker turnaround is going to be Florida state. Well, and Dan Mullen to get the 14th recruiting class is pretty good too for Florida first year. I mean, that's, that's nothing to sneeze at either. So both, both did very well. Right. Exactly, and I'm and I'm told that USF did very well. I don't want to mm-hmm. slight them. They had just signed a lot of their yeah. Players, most most so. of the players this year was the first year they had the early signing day in December mm-hmm. now, um, which right. is kind of goofy to me. But when some of the coaches aren't even in place yet at that point, um, right? Some aren't even hired for schools, and you're already signing players. I think that's kind of weird. But I'm not the one who makes those decisions. So, yeah, yeah. The college game is is, is strange with all the rules, and the two arm would. Recruits going to University, uh, Florida State University, uh, the defensive lineman Malcolm Lamar and the receiver Warren Thompson signed with Florida State. And they're the first two Armwood guys to do that as well. So a good class, a good start for Willie Taggart. I think they're going to have a good year. And, uh, it, you know, college football, you know, Miami got up to such a great start and then lost their last three games. But college football could be back in, in the state of Florida, which would be really cool. Final thing, I guess uh, there's, uh, there is another team that plays in Tampa Bay that's actually going to play a, a hockey game at home now after a month and a half. How long have they been gone? Uh, three weeks, actually. Three weeks between home games. They had an eight-game road trip. Uh, the All-Star game was in between, which obviously played here. But Right. Yeah, it's been eight days. The Vancouver Canucks in town tonight. Uh, but uh, the bigger thing is uh, Vinny LeCavalier will meet the media this morning as his jersey will go in the rafters on Saturday against the Kings. I think that's a really cool thing. We're going to talk a lot about LeCavalier and just sort of where, where he fits, I think, you know, in, even in the Mount Rushmore, not just of, of hockey players, but uh, but in Tampa Bay sports and what he's meant to this community. Um, he got it all started. I mean, those guys got it all started and they hoisted a cup. So. Um, it's not a small thing. It's cool to see him go up there. I'm sure there was some debate about whether Marty should go in first or Vinny, but they'll both be uh, they'll both be re- you know. No, Marty's up there retired. already, and now Vinny's going right. up uh, to, or Saturday. Uh, yeah, so. that's going to be cool. I'd love to try to get to that game. In fact, I'm gonna try to get to that game. We got Rays Rays Fan Fest. We'll be out there between 12 and one, and then that'd be a pretty nice evening. Actually. Yeah, if you're going to the game, uh, you want to be in your seats by six o'clock. That's when the ceremony's starting. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. in the game, the puck will drop uh, sometime, probably seven thirty ish or whatever. But uh, six o'clock will be the pregame ceremony for anyone going to the game. Uh, for uh, and I know Marty St. Louis speaking, uh, Phil Esposito speaking. I know there's many others speaking as well. I think Brad Richards is speaking. They do a nice job with that. They did a really nice job with St. Louis, which you know, never nobody was really sure what kind of reception we get. He got a great one. This will be even uh, just as or more heartfelt uh, for Venny. So. Great weekend coming up in sports. Lots to talk about tomorrow. We thank you for joining us. You can always 
uh, reach us wherever you can find uh, the podcast. If you followed Rick and Tom, you should be automatic uh, signed up. But if not, Steve, where can they go to uh, to listen to us? Every day? Any, anywhere you find podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, uh, SoundCloud, uh, TuneIn, uh, TampaBay.com slash sports. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at, uh, at SportsDayTV uh, or our Facebook page is at Sportsbook uh, TV as well. And you can reach me on Twitter at NFL Stroud, or of course, uh, you know, my email address is, is readily available in the paper, rstroud at tampabay.com or stroudbucksaway.com. So thanks for listening. Uh, make this a habit. We want to hear from you. We want your feedback, your questions. We'll do some mailbag segments coming up and lots of interviews, uh, of course, from Race Fan Fest and everything, uh, and more talk about the, the Lightning of Vinny LeCavier tomorrow. Thanks, everybody.